Welcome back to Random Book Club Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Van. With me today is Justin Mason, indie author. And I heard you got something new going on, man. Before we get into chapter 12, I heard you got something going on. I do. So, you know, I know you and I, we talk uh, kind of behind the scenes about some things that I've been working on. And I'm actually starting to make a little bit of progress on this lit RPG that I've been planning. And, or, uh, yeah, literary, yeah, lit RPG. Yeah, that's what they call it these days. I'm not sure. That's what the kids but, call uh, it. Yeah, so I, I, I've been kind of just playing around with that. And I've actually been trying to plan my scenes a little bit better, top to bottom. And uh, I've, I've been finding that that's working really well with me as a writing tool to be able to see the whole scene before I even attempt to write any parts of it. So I've been doing that, and uh, it's it's actually starting to come into words, which is really nice, as opposed to just talking about it. Once well, that's while, wonderful. So. And I think going through this book, the way that we're going through it, um, is probably helping you out a little bit on that. It does. It really By dissecting been, yeah. stuff. So... Let's jump I was into say, Yeah, go ahead. Speak, speaking of this book, chapter 12, Tales from Better Days. Let's do it. Tales from Better Days. I've been the star of many plays. Oh, no. Small wisps of smoke rose from their clothes as they tumbled back into the wizard's cave. All three in one ball. Brenda Moore's. I like that. Yep. Yeah, Brenda Moore, oh, showing man. surprising agility extracted himself first and rose laughing. Old Balthazar will be steaming about that one for a hundred years, the wizard roared. <laughs> it starts <laughs> off good. It's exactly... Because you can see it. You can see him coming through the portal and going... Yep. Like, you can see it. it it's, it's, it's great writing. It's very depictive. And it's still... Conti- right, because last chapter was super intense, right? Yes. The fighting and the, and the turtle and the dragon. Got to escape. And yeah, and everything going on. So it was super energetic, super high energy. And then it's like, it just comes to this big crashing, rolling, boom, done. Now we're back in the cave. Now what are we going to find out about Brenda Moore? A lot of questions, some answers. Can't wait to find out. Yeah, he shows surprising agility, which is cool. And then he's like got life in him right now. He's like, yeah, yeah. dude, that was awesome. Got so it kind of reminded yeah. me of Oliver, Oliver Spirit. Uh, yeah. Luthien wasn't sharing the wizard's mood on the situation and started mean mugging him until Brindamore settled down a bit. So the, yeah. the wizard's just laughing maniacally, loving it. And then he's like, okay. And the wizard told Luthien not to take things so seriously by learning to laugh more. After all, they had just escaped from a dragon after stealing an item from its horde. Oliver interjects to announce that uh, they didn't just steal one item and then starts juggling jewels. Then just you start, knew. You yeah. knew. Then he starts juggling the jewels that he had in his pocket um, that he had stolen from the horde, of course. So oh Brindamore's like God. cheering him on, like, yes, yes, yes. And Oliver's uh, tossing him in the air. On. It's just yeah, yeah, hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I could see this whole scene, by the way. Yeah. I, I, when they, when they, when he was in there throwing the gems back into the gold pile and stuff, I'm just like, no, you know, he's stealing something. There's no way Oliver comes out of here alive without something in his pockets. So then, um, uh, the wizard hole. Okay. So this part I did giggle at. Um, so, uh, Brenda Moore pointed out that it's one more reason to laugh because they stole more. And then the wizard holds up a fist to the juggling halfling in a salute. Yeah, man, you did steal more jewels. Hell yeah. Then we got to get back to serious Luthien here. Luthien did not crack the slightest hint of a smile. Balthazar? He asked. Balthazar? Brindamore echoed. Oh, wait. Yeah, he's like, Balthazar? And he's like, you called the dragon Balthazar, bro. Luthien explained. How did you know? And so Luthien's on to old Brindy here. Luthien is he is perceptive to the point to where as a reader you're just like okay young kid 20 years old coming out of Dunvarney how how is this kid going to survive but he is i mean dude Johnny this on kid the spot. Is, this kid is smart like he's picking that up and like I'm listening to I'm listening to Brenda Moore talking I'm like yeah he, he's got knowledge that he shouldn't have he, there's something going on here yeah so i yeah i like it Brenda Moore starts to squirm a little as he tries to fib his way out of the uh, observantly keen accusation of Luthien. At this point, Luthien presses the point with no help from Oliver, and the wizard wizard's jig is up. 
Brindy argues that there's no that there was no chance that they would have gone into the cave knowing that there was a dragon in there. Oliver agrees with the wizard, who is unimpressed by Luthien's rebuttal that they could have died. Okay, so then Luthien yeah. pushes Brindamore too far, and he puts Luthien in his place, stating that not only would he have not sent them if it wasn't for a very good reason, but that there are more important things in the world than Luthien Bedweir's personal safety. Luthien yes. and Oliver become pitiful to the wizard's plight as he explains how the wizard's power or where the wizard power comes from. And basically, uh, they get scolded, but or, or Luthien got scolded. But when I say that um, Luthien and Oliver become pitiful to the wizard's plight, what I mean is they're not pitiful. They're feeling pity for the wizard because as he starts to describe, he's like, do you even know where our wizard power comes from, bro? And he starts to explain how it comes from the universe and stuff. And you can see that the wizard, you know, when you talk about something that uh, is of your own experience and something that you're proud of, normally that brings life to you. But you can see that obviously what he's leading up to in explaining where the power of a wizard comes from is something that is like deeply depressing to him. And so he starts to look fragile and he starts to like get downtrodden. I think this was a really good setup for the very heavy information that he was about to lay on the two, because this is where we really get some backstory with Green Sparrow, the rest of the Dukes, and uh, what are these things called? These big structures. Um, I forget what they're called, but they're they're the cathedrals. On the, they're on the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're on the island. Six of them. And they're supposed to be big testaments and they're supposed to be great wondrous things. And they've been bastardized and pervaded mm-hmm. by Green Sparrow and his dukes. And it hurts Brindamore to see this because that's not what it's meant to be. And this this whole setup, this is what I was waiting for because I'm I'm thinking to myself, well, if Green Sparrow is such a badass, why doesn't he just snap kill everybody that opposes him? Like, why? Why not? Because you got and gorilla now, wizards in the wild, dude. Like now Brindy. we're starting to get some, yeah. Now we're starting to get a little explanation as to what's going on, and I really like this. So I'm, I'm. Let's let's get into this. Let's get this into was, it. This was this is some juicy meat right here. I yeah, like this, this was an info dump, but it it came at a really good time. We'll get into it, and I'll discuss why I liked that it happened here. Cool. They continue conversing about the history of wizards, making specific references to the six cathedrals of Eriador being designed by powerful wizards, Brindy included. So this is like hundreds of years ago. Oliver yeah. chimes in to say that Gascony has cathedrals too, but admits that they are not as great as the one on the island, or the ones on the islands, citing the fact that viewing the ministry in Montfort for the first time literally took his breath away with how grand it was. Brindamore talks uh, a bit about how it wasn't until after Bruce MacDonald rid the land of the Cyclopeans and, su- and successfully repelled the invasion from the powerful army of Gascony that things started to take a turn for the worse. So now you're starting to get an idea. Um, okay, we're about to get into some stuff more. And Brindy is old. Brandy is an old dude. Um, yep. Why I like that it's it's... Uh, this info dump is here is because it's right after a bunch of action. We as the reader, or I personally wanted to relax a little bit and enjoy the fact that we got a new, we got some new items, you know, that kind of thing. And this is the perfect spot to go, Hey, congratulations. You made it. Now let me give you some information of why you were here. So it makes it like, even though we were mad at Brenda Moore for lying to us, I'm glad he did. Cause it allowed us to have this awesome info dump here. Yeah, so we come from a really exciting, intense high to now we're kind of just kind of uh, tapering off, like you said, to this slower point uh, where, you know, you're probably not going to go from this action scene with the dragon right back to the cave to another high energy action scene. There's got to be a little come down here. And this was this was the perfect place to do this. If you was going to do an info dump, uh, this is really good pacing. And like you said, it's appropriately timed. I really like this part. Yeah, so I'm going to read a little excerpt from the book here. I just It's really... a little breathing room, and I really like it. Yeah. Perhaps we were bored, the wizard remarked with a chuckle, or perhaps the lure of greater powers produced, uh, prodded us on too far. Wizards have always used minor creatures of the lower planes, bane midges and the lesser demons as servants, calling on them with their knowledge of the planes of existence, to find answers to those questions we could not discern from within our earthly mantles. Until that time not so long ago, though, 
our true power came from the pure energies, fires and lightning, the cold winds of the northern glaciers, and the strength of an ocean swell. But then, some in the Brotherhood, including our present king, Green Sparrow, he spat the name with obvious disdain, forged evil packs with the demons of great power. It took many decades for their newfound and ill-gotten powers to come to true fruition, but gradually they drove the goodly wizards, like myself, from their ranks. And I thought that was really cool because it's like, oh, Green Sparrow's old too, man. And he deals with demons. So now we know about, we think back to the old plague, you know, that that weakened everybody. Well, that's probably some demon freaking spell. And uh, it also is a bummer because it's like, okay, Brindamore we've seen now is super powerful. Uh, or at least he's, he's an awesome wizard. But he is hiding in this cave for some reason. Now we know why. Because he's basically been... I don't know. Ostracized. Ostracized from, from the order. Yeah. And um they're watching for him all the time. Yeah, so it's just a huge bummer that, you know and it's it's weird because you don't know about any of Brindamore's friends if he has any left, besides the ones that he said died when they were sealing the cave off or whatever. Yeah. But um it, it is too bad to know that all the wizards that we're going to come into contact with if we go to like a city with a citadel is going to be all these bad ones. So Brendan Moore's uh, greatest lament, a lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. So his greatest lament, I've always heard the term lament. I just didn't really know um, is how the cathedrals of the land have turned to evil. Like you were saying before, now the ministry is no more than a tax collection agency. So the ministry being one of the great, cathedrals the one that happens to be located in montfort now it's all about the money yeah so he gets done with that and then the wizard or the wizard then relax and tells the pair that they have earned their freedom and then compliments luthien on his new cape they discuss how wizards had intended to, or how the wizard had intended to give luthien the cape and the folding bowl after the mission but it seemed to increase their chances of success if the tools were in their possession we learn more about the cape from Brindamore as he explains why Luthien shouldn't wear it openly in public. The folding bow is illegal, and it, along with the cape, was uh, owned by a famous thief. Which is cool. It's like, all right. Um, they stayed for another wonderful feast that night. Gotta have the feast. The Beauty gotta, and the Beast feast. Gotta be well fed and rested. Mm-hmm. And then they went to bed. Brindamore came to Oliver in the night and spoke about Luthien. And here's another excerpt from the book. He has suffered many adventures all at once, Brintamore went on. He faced a dragon. That might not seem uh, like much to the likes of Oliver de Burroughs. Of course not, <laughs> the halfling interrupted. But <laughs> Always? <laughs> of course not. He's like, yeah, dragons, you know. But no doubt it was traumatic to young Luthien, the wizard finished. Watch over him, Oliver, I beg you. The very foundation of his wor world has become, or likely will soon become, as loose sand shifting under his feet. And so, Brindamore shows us that he's like, hey man, Luthien is a kid. He still needs some mentorship. Well, look at Oliver. Look at everything he's done. Even if Oliver is maybe younger or middle-aged, look at this guy. A highway robber. Yeah. Been been to highway the pubs, man. which we're gonna which we're gonna get to. But a highway halfling, been stealing from coaches, been through it, man. Probably lived on the street at some point. Like he's he's seen it. Luthien, yeah, he grew up fighting in the arena with some buddies. Well, that's the biggest. That's the biggest thing he ever did. Yeah, it's also um, things that you gain experience experience that you gain through just living life. You know, when you're twenty. 25 you do really think okay i got a handle on myself i know what i'm doing but by the time you get to 30 nothing. you're like dude there are so many things that yeah. i wish i would have just chilled on or yeah. you know you look back and you go those things were really not as important as i thought they were but it was important yeah. for me to go through them to understand and just basically put yourself through those situations to really better appreciate what is important in life. And we see that. become who you are. Yeah, we see that constantly with Luthien. He's fighting himself inside his mind, being like, what am I now? What what has just happened? I'm doing what I think is right, but it seems like the things that I think are right is like 
stealing shit, killing Cyclopeans. Like, what is going on with my life? You know, it's really kind of crashing here. But yeah. um, luckily, Oliver is a positive um like force in his life even though he's bad like he's actually like nice so, to luthien not taking so advantage of him real life spoiler and backstory for both of us when i'm reading this book i know this i'm 32 but i want you to know i'm i'm honestly thinking like this is what it would have been like if dan and i were in a pub back in the day yeah Oh, as Oliver been, and Luthien? Yeah, yeah. If we had been friends, because you are very much so willing to just walk up to somebody, strike up conversation. Oh, for sure. I am not. I'll be Oliver. That's awesome. But I'm I'm very willing to, you know, act on my feelings and step in when I need to, just like Luthien. Yep. But I very much see you as being like the guy to be like, just like, you'll just kind of get up and walk across the bar and go talk to any anybody you see and you're not yeah, i'm you're an not old shy. soul i'm an old highwayman soul yeah, halfling yeah soul. you're you're not shy at all so i i very much was getting some kind of internal giggles when i was reading these next couple chapters and i'm just like yeah it's, yeah, dude, that's, it's great that's like us if we were in fantasy days so uh continuing on um Oliver shows reluctance at the request to to watch over luthien stating in his funny way that all the gifts were given that were given were given to Luthien and not him. The wizard. He's, such a, he's so good. He's, he's so sneaky. Oh, gets in there, gets in there. Hey man, that seems like you're asking a lot, dude. I mean, what about Oliver Burroughs? Yeah. What Luthien got the cape. Luthien got yeah. the freaking sweet bow. You got the bow. And you know, I know who owned that cape. Come on, Brindy. You know, I know who that was. So what you got, bro? Well, the wizard points out, um, that the passing to Montfort is much more valuable to him due to his recent thieving activities involving the city's prominent merchants. But he does give some valuable gifts to um, Oliver. Uh, he gets a housebreaker, something called a housebreaker, which is a leather harness, kind of like a, a rock climber's um, mm -hmm. gear, but it has many pouches containing magical thieving tools. These tools include an enchanted grapnel, that can hold the weight of three large men, be set to the smoothest of, of surfaces, and be released by simply tugging the fine rope three times. The that harness, is really cool. it is awesome. Yeah, That one alone is like, oh, dude, that's sweet. The harness's pouches also uh, were enchanted to hold much more than they appear to be able to. Holding the most co uh, complete set of tools, files, lock pits, lock picks, fine wire, and even a glass cutter. One of the pouches contained a skeleton key, to which Oliver was most impressed by. Oliver accepts the wizard's deal. Didn't the one pouch, wasn't he just basically able to think about what he wanted when he reached in and get it? Yeah, so the mechanics of this um, of this housebreaker is on the belt of the, of the housebreaker, like leather straps, um, was a bunch of series of pouches. And... Um, they made it sound like it could have been one. I, I think it's probably all of the pouches were enchanted, or maybe it was just the one. Uh, but it's it's much bigger on the inside than it appears. Kind of like in Harry yes. Potter when they have the tent and they go inside and it's like a mansion. Yes. Um, so it's a what do, what do you call that in D and D? The 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 it's it's bag a bag of holding. Bag of holding. So that's exactly what it is. It's a bag of holding, and. You put your hand in there, and, and Brenda Moore explains to Oliver how it works, and he says, basically, you just think of what you want, and it'll come to your hand. You can put as much as stuff as you want in there that it can hold, um, but think about what you want, and then it'll come to you. And he and that's when he sees the skeleton key, because uh, Brenda Moore thinks of the skeleton key, and it appears in his hand. And so, you know, maybe Oliver's not impressed by the skeleton key, and he's impressed by that, or both, or whatever. So we have a skeleton key. Yeah, I'm a little bit lost on this. Why it's so special? Can you explain it to me? He well, what is Oliver and Luthien's profession now? I understand they're robbers, they're thieves. They're, but what? But what is a skeleton key? Is it like a for? Is it like a key for lock picking or what oh, is it? Um, a skeleton key. Um, that's awesome that you asked that because maybe some people don't know what a skeleton key. I is. I literally thought it was a key with a skull at the top. Um, n no, uh, that's how it could be depicted, like in pirate movies and stuff like that. A skeleton key is a key that's, that's like, um, it's like a dummy key. It can go into many locks. So mm. for instance, um, you know, uh, when you go into a gas station and there's those fountain soda dispensers and they always have like a, a, a lock 
to open up to where all the juices are and stuff like that on the top. That lock has a number on it. And on that number, you can just Google that number and you will find the key for that lock. All those locks are the same. So if you had that key, that will open up every single fountain soda dispenser in the entire nation because they all use the same key. Obviously, that's up to the the person who purchases it. They can change the locks. But have you ever purchased a product that had a lock on it? Did you ever change the lock? Probably not, you know. So a skeleton key is like that, but for doors, door locks, uh, gate locks, stuff like that. Um, skeleton keys can come in different styles. I'm going too deep, but basically... No, please, because I literally um, don't understand it. So. so if it's a magical skeleton key, like what I'm assuming is the one that's here, it's just a it's a lock-picking key uh, sure. where it can go into certain chests or something that you, he can't really pick easily, and it'll be able to unlock it. Um, okay. But what I actually assume, or what I think it actually is, is more of just like a dummy key that allows you to to push the key in to push down the tumblers of a lock to make picking like 10 times easier you know nice um also it's a it's nice because uh if you get caught like let's say someone sees you trying to pick well you've got a key oh my key's not working then you just jingle it and take it out and it looks like a normal thing it doesn't look like you were picking a lock you know what i mean so a skeleton key is just a it's like a lock pick it's like a it's a really good one if it's enchanted, then it can open up a lot of things. So that's cool. Um, so yeah, Oliver accepts the deal. He's like, yeah, all right, I'll watch him. Thanks, man. The next day, Oliver and Luthien retrieve Threadbare and Riverdancer, and they leave under the magical gaze of the wizard. And that's the end of chapter 12. I actually have something I want to bring up. Great. Points to bring up, starting with Justin. What you got, bro? Mine is so stupid, but I'm bringing it up. Bring it up, man. So I'm page 119 of the paperback. Uh, excuse me, <clears throat> uh, page 119, not 118 or 120. A wizard knows both, my boys, and always keeps and, and always keeps both in mind. There are spiritual consequences to every physical act, and the physical being has no choice except to follow the course of the soul. They missed a quotation mark, an end quotation mark after soul. Nice. Is it bad that that's the stuff I'm noticing? <laughs> there was a point in the audiobook too where um uh David Drummond, the the uh narrator David man. He kind of mixed his words up a little bit and there was a part where it was like uh they're talking about Luthien's thoughts were whirling in his head, W H I R L mm. whirling. Yeah. And that's kind of a weird word. You know, whirling. So he says swirling, okay. um, which maybe in his copy, that's how it is. And maybe the Kindle version is um, incorrect. But I don't know. That's the only thing I caught this week. Yeah, I, I was reading it and I, I saw I'm like, why isn't there end quotation marks here? And then I look and they have quotation marks to start the next sentence on the next paragraph. I'm like, well, they must have forgot it. What year was it? Was it was that 98 when this, this came is, out? Yes, yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know. 98 was kind of a loose time, man. Quotations. uh, I'll put a a one at the start. You know what I'm saying. You know what I mean? So, no, the rest of the book is someone talking. The the entire rest of the book. And then at the very end, there's an extra quotation. (laughs) This is all Brenda Moore's story. So, um, some points that I want to bring up. Brenda Moore's a very... uh, uh, Points to bring up. Brenda Moore's very good reason. So remember back to Brenda Moore's discussion about there's a very good reason to do this. Luthien is seething mad that they could have died on a wizard's lie. When he pre- uh, presses the wizard up until that point, lighthearted w- wizard, where he's like he's laughing about it because they had just gotten out of the cave, about that fact that they could have died. Um, the wizard snaps and says, am I to apologize? Brenda Moore spat suddenly, incredulously, and his unexpected verbal of uh, offensive set Luthien back on his heels. Are you so selfish? Now Luthien's face screwed up with confusion, not having any idea of what the wizard might be talking about. And do you believe that I would have allowed the two of you to walk into such danger unless there was a very good reason? Brindamore went on, snapping his fingers in the air in front of Luthien's face. And your very good reason justifies the lie and it was worth the price of our lives? Luthien snapped back. Yes, Brindamore assured him. In no uncertain terms, there are more important things in the world than your safety, dear boy. So what is, is what is so important that the wizard would push them into a situation uh, 
where they could die. Well, first of all, it's a it's a perfect social commentary on how all these young people, and I'm not saying these these GD millennials. I'm not saying I'm not saying these days like from us. I'm just saying young people in general. They all they all think that like the world revolves around them. And it's even a, yeah, Luthien, it's an idealistic. Even, even Luthien is kind of like, well, why would you risk my right. life? Why would you do this to me? How dare you? And he's like, dude, your life is worth saving the kingdom. Shut up. Yeah, and then and if you look at um, Oliver's Save response to all this when the wizards. You know, at first he's laughing with the wizard. He's like, we got out of there, dude. Look at my yeah. coins and my jewels. You know, like yeah. he's just like, you know what? You live and let it. live. He um, gets it. So Luthien doesn't get it yet. I wonder what the important thing is, though. You know, like they got the staff for him, but we don't really talk about the staff anymore. So was he trapped in the cave because he didn't have his staff? He says it says in this chapter that he can't leave the cave because Green Sparrow and his dukes are always watching for him. Okay. Okay. That's so, why he, that's why he stays in the cave to watch over Luthien and Oliver. But he is watching oh, over them. Oh, and they that do ask like do you get your power from the staff? That's what, so they do bring up like yeah. and he's like no, that then we get it from the universe or whatever. So yeah. we get a real staff sense is used to channel it. We get a real sense here that Brindy knows something is coming that nobody is being open about. Yes. Okay. Next point, a wizard's power. Brendan Moore explains in this chapter where wizards get their power from, explaining that it comes from the universe itself. Oliver points out that he sounds more like a priest than a wizard, but Brindy says that's the point exactly, that wizard that a wizard is in tune with the spiritual and the physical, explaining that the term wizard itself means wise man, and that the ancient brotherhood of wizards considered themselves priests. Continuing, he draws a distinction from the world's modern-day priests being all spiritual but not understanding the physical, and today's inventors being the opposite, and saying that the wizard can harness both concepts. I thought that was really cool. It It makes you feel like wizards are rare. And I always think to myself, you know, where does wizardry even come from? You know it comes from a, a, a physical and a spiritually like like Druidic. Yeah, it comes it comes from a very um, very intense understanding of both of those assets and both of those aspects of life. Whereas you know, like they were saying, a priest more spiritual, you know, an inventor more physical, but you know, a wizard, we understand both. Right. And he even kind of commentates, like you said, how well rare that is. Yeah, and I liked how he brought up he just just name drops this ancient brotherhood of wizards. And it's like that would have been a cool time to be around. When you got yeah. just wizards, yo, you know, building might, cathedrals. Hey, what you doing this week? I'm working on cathedral in Montfort, bruh. You know? Might still be might still be some around though. <clears throat> Greensboro. Next point. A wizard's words. I like how Brenda Moore is able to navigate conversations with Oliver and Luthien on sensitive topics, sometimes offending them, but always maintains control and doesn't place blame on any one person, making these large concepts more easily understood through reason. So he doesn't yes. put anyone down. He states the facts. He and he he looks at people as he's talking to them to verify, like, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the situation. And I think that's really cool to see because um, it is really easy to get offended um, when someone's criticizing something that is really close to you. And that leads into my next point. Luthien the student. Luthien is such a great example of how you can effectively ask questions, argue a point, and concede to better logic. He stands his ground when faced with difficult questions. Who built the cathedrals? The people is what he says. The people built the cathedrals. And But by the end, the wizard walks him through logically into a new frame of reference for the small picture that he had to a big picture. And Luthien agrees in the end. And that's when um, Brenda Moore is explaining like, yes, the people, um, you know, as uh, I forget what he what he called them, but he's like as not valiant, but as like honorable as they are. They did build a cathedral, but it was a wizard who came up with the designs and blah, blah, blah. So this is a. Uh, 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 really rare in real life, but it's a skill that anyone can learn of how as a person, even if you get offended in in an argument or someone brings up something that you don't agree with, that you can listen to them. 
You can argue your point and you can be fervent about it, but listen through the whole thing and agree with them on certain points and maybe come to a different understanding. Be willing to open your mind to other people's thoughts. We've come to a place in our existence now. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to get political because yeah, that's fine. I don't want to. It's a but book. We've come to, we've come to a place now where because you believe in something, you can't concede any points or you're somehow admitting that you don't right. believe what you say you believe. And I think that's, I think that's totally incorrect. I think that's, uh, that's a recipe for toxic relationships amongst people. And it really bothers me that we can't have conversations where I say, hey, I like X, Y, and Z, and I absolutely detest A, B, and C. And then you tell me, well, I like A, B, and C, and I hate X, Y, and Z. Okay, thanks for telling me. That's and why we're good friends we're, is because that's what we do. We And we do it all the time. And you know, sometimes we talk about stuff, and you're like, that's kind of stupid. Yep. And then you'll tell me something. I'll be like, dude, that's stupid. But we're and, more respectful but, about it, but that's the gist but, of the conversation of like, I don't agree with that because why would it? You know what I mean? But we're able to talk about things that a lot of people, if they were to talk about, would be like, I can't be friends with this person. Anymore. Yeah. And, and sometimes we do get heated to the point where we have to say, hey, let's reframe this argument. I love you, bro, but I don't yeah. agree with this, you know, and yeah. it's nothing yeah. against you. It's this whole yeah. concept, you know. So I just thought yeah. that was important to point out for me. It is a really important skill to have. Yeah, to be it's able awesome. To be if you can do that, to different opinions. you will find the world is your oyster if you can do this where um, – you can just allow things to kind of roll off your back, listen to other people and actually hear what they're saying. And, but be able to separate yourself, separate your identity from the thing that you're just because you don't about. agree with somebody doesn't mean you can't be friends with them. Yeah. Or it doesn't mean you can't have a civil conversation and exist within the same area. And I, I see all too often, whether it's politics, whether it's religion, whether it's just lifestyles, too much of that. Too much of that. Uh, well, I don't agree with you. Stay away from me. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't do anything to hurt you. Like, I'm just telling you what's up. Like, I'm not trying to hurt you, you know. But it's a it's a very, uh, it is a very good skill to have. And when I see Luthien, like you say, navigating this conversation with Brindamore and kind of adapting as things go, that tells me something about Luthien. He's a little more open-minded maybe than I once gave him credit for. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, moving on to places of notes. Uh, places of note. Six math... math mathive? We got the math of cathedral here. Uh, <laughs> six of them. Uh, who do you think built the great cathedrals, Brindamore asked, referring to the eight massive... Oh, eight massive, not six. I'm wrong. I'm changing that up right now in my notes. Uh, eight massive, excuse me, um, that dotted the islands of Avon of Avonsea. Six were in Avon, the largest in Carlisle, and similar one in Princetown. The Isle of Beraduin to the west had only one, and Eriador had uh, one located in Montford. Oh, that's cool. So let's bring up the map real quick. So Map check. Map check. Flip your books to the last page, the, the back. Uh, we got to have a map set. So in Avon, which is the, the southern part of the map, um, there's apparently six of these GD cathedrals that in Beraduin, <laughs> there's one somewhere, probably in Aaronfast. And then in Eriador, there's only one and it's in Montford. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Um, wow. It's, and it's kind of interesting that all the cathedrals are in Avon, which I guess makes sense why Gascony would try to attack them and only try to take over Avon and not push up any further. And kind of explains why Green Sparrow did the same thing. Once he controlled the cathedrals, you know what I mean? Then he can... You can tax the shit out of everybody. Yeah. Uh, the next thing is the ministry. It's the cathedral in Montfort. From, the perspect from that perspective, all buildings of Montfort, and many were large and impressive, and even the ones... Uh, the one castle of the city seemed to be doll houses of children under the long shadows of the towering spires and the huge stone buttresses of the massive cathedral. It was simply, it was called simply the ministry. And it was one of the greatest sources of pride for the people of Eriador. Every family, uh, every family, even those of the islands had ancestors who had worked on the ministry. So it, it's Damn. something that's old and big. All right, moving on to special people. Green Sparrow's eight dukes. 
are confirmed by Brenda Moore to be newest generation of perverted wizards. So it's the new gen uh, upgrades, but they're really downgrades because they're evil. Yep. All right. And I got a question for Bob. Bob. Uh, Bob, it's Random Book Club Podcast. You know us. We hang out on weekends, helped you write your last book. We have a question. Do you worry about writing your characters into a corner by giving them such powerful items so early in a series? These gifts they got from Brenda Moore after escaping the Dragon's Den are incredible and feel very satisfying to us as the reader. But now going forward, any special item or trinkets that are obtained by Luthien and Oliver will have to be extra special, right? What do you think? Well, um, sure, these items are cool, right? I'm not speaking for Bob, but these items are cool, right? But They're the awesome. Bow the, cape, the bow and the cape have already been restricted. The moment, oh, okay, I the see moment, what you're saying. The moment we find out about it, they're already restricted. And Luthien's like, well, I can't really just be waving the cape around. And I really can't show the bow in public. Like, I didn't even think th- about that. These that are so thieves' true. tools. So if he's going to use those, he's got to risk himself every time he uses it. It's like, okay, when Frodo puts on the ring in Lord of the Rings, he goes invisible. But uh, Sauron can see him. Yep. Knows exactly where he is and starts sending his... What are they called? Ring wraiths or whatever the hell they're called. Um, yes, ring wraiths. Yeah. Start sending those things after them. And it's like, well, using that ring is a terrible idea. So, like, right, that's my point. That's what I'm trying to make to you. Is yes, they have these incredible items, bow and this invisibility cloak. Super restricted. And it's gonna be almost like I would say it's almost akin to the ring from the Lord of the Rings series, because if he puts it on. Or if he starts using that stuff, he's going to oust himself as, first of all, a user of thieves tools and mm-hmm. an enemy of Montfort. So he's got to be careful that he doesn't do that, especially since he doesn't want to draw attention to himself. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I didn't even think about that, but you're right. It's limited immediately. Both Oliver and Luthien got thieves tools. So it's not like they're yeah. going to be just using it willy nilly. Yeah. Uh, he, it's going to help them. Go ahead. No, no please. It's going to help them in the immediate future with whatever they're going to do. Obviously, Oliver is going to. Of course going to be taking him on thieving things which it's it's setting up something really exciting like you didn't expect it to end up becoming like you thought maybe we were going to go a highwayman route then we're fighting dragons in a cave now where we're going to go well the items that we got now we're thieves bro we're going to be we're going to burgle we're going to see some burgling like they haven't even gotten out of brinda moore's cave yeah and you're excited and you're you're excited but you're also thinking He's got to be really careful because yep. he could get in a lot of trouble. So or die. Like I said, not even out of not even out of the gate, and we already know. Yes, these are super powerful items, but they could also get us killed. All right. Well, we are at forty minutes. I think we can go on to chapter thirteen. All right, we're doing it. Chapter Let's do 13. it. Chapter thirteen, guys. I already changed the. I already changed it to say chapter uh, thirteen. So all right, all right. you didn't know, cool. but we're gonna do it. The chapter begins with Luthien and Oliver back on the road towards the Iron Cross. Yes. Chapter 13, chapter 13 Montfort. 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 I don't know how to say it. Montfort and Sons. The chapter it's begins Montfort with... Montfort and Sons, bro. <laughs> Jesus, Dad. <laughs> the chapter begins with Luthien and Oliver back on the road towards the Iron Cross and leading to Montfort. Luthien complains about being set free so far from the city, which was probably another day's ride on the rocky terrain. Oliver points out that the wizard probably put them out as far as he could, given that Brynden Moores has enemies in Montfort, that being the Duke of Montfort named Morkney and one of and maybe one of his captains or one of his captains. The pair continue chatting about their gifts, and Oliver shares the importance of what he calls the Crimson Cape. Luthien finally realizes the power of the cape and how it makes the wearer nearly invisible while the hood is up. Luthien yeah, also... This was, Go ahead. This is where we have our first discussion about the actual full powers of this cape. Yeah. And uh, I liked the breakdown that Oliver and Luthien did here because I still wasn't quite sure at this point, you know, everything about it. Yeah. But Oliver really, he was kind of like... he's kind, Oliver's kind of a writer's tool, right? He'll kind of reveal information, but through a character. Right. And I like how it's not just the way Oliver does his info dumps are really like within his character. He never gives a straight answer ever. 
He's constantly asking you to figure it out for yourself. He's like, tell me, did you see anything weird about the dragon when you were wearing the cape? And, and Luthien's like, uh, I don't know. He was like looking at you. And he's like, think about it, Luthien. Luthien, think oh, about yeah. it. Use your head, Luthien. And it's like, oh, yeah, I guess the dragon couldn't see me, even with this dragon stare that named, what was it called? Dragon's yeah. gaze? Dragon gaze, the yeah. special special, the special move. Yeah. Paralyzes you, sleeps you, confuses you, and poisons Scares you. Scares you to time. the point where you can't talk. But if you yeah. got your hood up, don't worry about it. So it was, it was, it was nice. Um, rereading or rereading this chapter, uh, I found it to be initially like, okay, we know it's an invisibility cape, but Luthien doesn't know. So we're kind of, um, it helps us as the reader. If like, if I was younger reading this, I wouldn't have understood what, the, what happened in that cave. It wouldn't have made sense to me, you know, cause I've never seen a cave with a dragon in it, you know? So um, it, it is actually a good writing tool. So they use Oliver to do info dumps in a cool way where it's within his character, not just saying, let me tell you about the Crimson Cape. But let me tell you about the Cape, Luthien. It's XYZ, AB, yeah, and C. Plus five and to attack. Way, I'm totally out of character here by telling you this straight away and not making you think. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's cool. He's forcing Luthien to, to think about the questions he's asking. Like, dude, think about things before you talk, man. They finally make it to Montfort. Oh, and also, side note, uh, not side note, uh, adding to the last part, um, Luthien's a good tool because he's the audience, basically. He's he's fresh. He's a fresh little lamb just in in the world. Here's the thing. Luthien, think about it like this. Uh, I just want to break away from our breakdown for just a second to kind of talk about a writing tool. Luthien is written in such a way that take away his name. Call him Dan. Call him Justin. Call him anybody watching this podcast. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Doesn't matter what your name is. You if jabroni. You smell what, what Luthien's cooking. My point is, you can literally insert yourself into Luthien's shoes because you're experiencing this world for the first time with him. That's why the writing is so damn good. Yeah, it's very good. Because... Because even though Luthien is a actual person in this world, take away his name, put yourself in his shoes. You can be that character. Because I want long this, blonde hair. I want to be tall. Same, you have the same knowledge of the world that Luthien does. And I freaking love it. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's awesome writing. They finally make it to Montfort, the first big city that Luthien has been to since he left his home, Dunvarna. They notice at uh, they notice all the big buildings, but the ministry stood out as um, stood out the most to them. As they drew closer to the city wall, two cyclopeans came down to meet them. River dancers' saddlebags almost get searched when Oliver stops the cyclopean by saying, "You have no cause," and hands over the documents made by Brindamore. The cyclopean couldn't read it a fact that was made more obvious because he was holding it upside down. So he called over his partner, who was much more smarter, or much smarter, much smarter, much more, whatever. I'm not. I am the original Cyclopean. (laughs) After, (laughs) After a moment, the two Cyclopeans changed their tune completely, smiling and bowing as they let the two enter the city. Oh, this wizard type, he is very good. Oliver laughed when they had put uh, the gate behind him. Very good. So it's like, Oliver is like super impressed by these documents that were uh, created. Luthien is taken aback by the sheer enormousness of the city. Oliver says that he will get used to it. As they continue deeper into the city, Luthien notices that there was an inner wall where it, you have something to say. Do you want me to, let me finish the sentence. Um, Luthien noticed that there was, okay, sorry, go ahead. Just the way the scene is written when he's presenting the pass, when he's presenting the pass to the Cyclopeans and the first one, it's upside down. The second one turns it over and they're kind of looking over the pass. Is it possible that, yes, it's a pass. Yes, it's showing, you know, getting in passage. Is it possible there's some enchantment on that pass? That's- oh, 100%. I, 100%. I like, this feels like an enchantment. Yes. I don't care what it said on there. Those those uh, Cyclopeans were stoked to meet these guys after they read yeah. it. He's like, oh, look at these guys. Yeah, they're smiling. He points up to the people on the tower. He's like, dude, look who it is. And they let him through, and they're all like bowing and stuff as they go by. Oh, good question. What kind of enchantment? 
So I thought Super. originally it was like uh, an enchantment of like, um, how would you say it? Like where it just shows them what they want to see on the document. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like it's just, mm-hmm. this is a writ of passage for blah, 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 you know? But now that I think about it, the way that they had changed their tune so drastically, like Cyclopeans changing their tune, going from almost pillaging their bags to bowing and smiling and nodding, maybe it's kind of like a, like a, a magical drug. Yeah. Where it got them all like high or something. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I never thought of magic like that. I didn't think yeah, like, if I, you touch this parchment and, and Oliver always wears gloves. If you look at it, yeah. So it wouldn't have necessarily affected Oliver, or maybe it was cast in a way that it only affects Cyclopeans. Or I like it. That's uh, that's cool, man. So um, Luthien is taken aback by the sheer enormity of the city. He also notices that there were uh, it, there was an inner wall that was uh, guarded by twice as many guards as the outer wall, separating mm-hmm. the rich people from the poor people, or like the merchants. And the people of privilege to all the poor people. Makes sense. Got to keep them separate. <laughs> Gotta. We'll get into it. The pair boarded up, uh, boarded up their mounts at a stable that Oliver was familiar with, and then they headed to a bar on the seedy side of town <laughs> that Oliver was familiar with. <laughs> yep. Called the Dwelf. The Dwarven Owl. Upon arrival, Luthien starts asking why they're going to the Dwelf and not one of the, like, hundred other bars they went by. Oliver points out to Luthien that all the other taverns only have humans and Cyclopeans. And he does this in a way that we were talking about earlier. He's like, what do you notice about that bar over there? He's like, uh, I don't know. And there's, like, humans and Cyclopeans milling about. And he's like, what do you notice about this bar? He's like, ah, it's a bar. It's a tavern, man. And Oliver's like, yeah, dumb, dumb. It's for dwarves and elves. It's in the name. Think about it. And then Luthien reads it. Luthien and Oliver head inside the smoky and crowded tavern. Most of the other races weren't intermingling. The atmosphere was on the brink of explosion. Oliver made his way to the bar and climbed up a small set of stairs that were pushed up to, uh, pushed up to many of the higher than normal bar stools uh, and perched himself there. I thought that was a nice little touch. Because it's for dwarves and elves or fairborn. Uh, that they would have to have stools that like are a little bit taller than normal or make their bar a little bit lower. So that was kind of cool. It's got a little stairs. He got, he climbs up those stairs. Like he's always done it. Like he's always, he's very familiar with this place. Um, he makes small talk with the barkeep Tasman and he is served brown like liquor. Like yeah. He's like, they haven't hung you yet as he walks in. Uh, and then Tasman turns around. I was like, Oh, Oliver. Oh dude. <laughs> It's like people come into the store sometimes. I'll just look at them and say, God, they didn't arrest you yet? Yeah. Not in jail? It's just like, you just know. You just know. Luthien grabs a normal stool and sits next to Oliver and begins to embarrass himself. Luthien puts it, this is from the book. Luthien put his hand over the mouth of the glass before Tasman could pour, begin to pour that brown liquor. Just some water, if you please, the young man <laughs> said politely. Tasman's steel gray eyes widened. Water? He echoed, and Luthien flushed. That is what they call light ale on Bedvigen, Oliver lied, saving his friend some embarrassment. Saved him. Ah, Tasman agreed, though he didn't seem to believe a word of it. He replaced the glass with a flagon topped uh, topped by the foam of strong ale. Luthien eyed it, eyed Oliver, and then thought better of protesting. He's like, ah, ah, okay. I'm here now. Yeah, I love that. That's what they call light beer in Bedridgen. So it's like it's like when people call Bud Light water. Yeah, I mean, like I got that is what that is. That is totally what that is. Yeah, I got to get a twenty-four pack of water. Okay, just pours them a beer. Yep. Bob was watching the Red Sox, the Boston Red Sox, and and some, they're drinking some water. They're drinking some Bud Light, some waters, dude. Some tall yeah. waters, some tall boys. Yeah. A twenty-four ounce water. Oliver then makes a deal with Tasman to rent his old room. Luthien and Oliver begin talking to about Oliver's past and his reputation in Montfort. Then a woman walked by that caught Oliver's eye, and he excuses himself and starts hitting on this lady. Luthien drinks alone for a bit, feeling homesick. Tasman gives him another drink without saying a word. He's a good barkeep. I really like Tasman. He just yep. does his thing, and he can kind of see. 
You know, he knows Luthien's a fish out of water. Hey, here's another one, dude. I got to go to the other side of the bar now. Let you drink alone, you know? Take care of business. Finish your drink. See then a different woman surprises Luthien and starts chatting him up. He has no idea how to handle it, not having the experience or social maturity to handle the situation. But Luthien was saved by a yell that cut through the din of the smoky tavern. Uh, and he knew without looking that somehow Oliver was involved. Of course. Luthien pushed through the mob and saw Oliver squaring off with a ruffian who claimed the woman was as his own. Oliver made a scene, then dispatched the big man by headbutting him in the balls. <laughs> the guy rushed him. The guy rushes at him, and I then Oliver's the like, yeah. Bam. Right in the family right jewels, in, as it right were. Right in the kahiki. <laughs> and this makes one of the man's companions mad, and he pulls a dagger out on Oliver. So things could get serious here. Everyone's watching. Luthien starts to the notice Cyclopeans the patrol, the Cyclopean uh, uh, patrol, yeah. Praetorians in the corner. There was five of them when they walked in. They're sitting at a thing. They're kind of watching now. Dude pulls out a dagger, and um, but Luthien intercepts the dagger with his sword and then punches him in the face and goes, ow! So I, at this point, I know Luthien's drunk because he wouldn't have made a punch that would have hurt him otherwise. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Luthien was drinking by himself, thinking about home, thinking about his old girl. What was her name again? Hale? Catherine? about Catherine O'Hale. Like, man, mm. I wish I was home, man. This is kind of a Give weird place. One, Tasman. Why is it? I still don't know why it's called a dwelf, man. You know? Can, can I get another water, Tasman? Tazzy. <laughs> Give me that devil water, dude. So he, he comes up. Um, no. He comes up and uh, blocks the dagger with his sword awesomely it's over like, Oliver's head. <laughs> Oliver's just standing there with his hat, you know. Uh, and uh, the last thug lunged forward, and Oliver made a mockery of the attack. And he basically swashbuckles. Showed off for the bar. Oliver, off for the bar. Yeah, Oliver finishes the fight quickly and bows to the crowd as if it was a performance, and the crowd cheered. Yeah. They wanted him out of there. They wanted them other guys out of there. Back in fi back five minutes, and already there's trouble, Tasman remarked with the, uh, yeah. when the halfling and Luthien returned to their seats at the bar. It this didn't seem to stuff, Luthien, man. however, that the man was really complaining. So it's just like... This is good stuff. Yeah, Tasman's like, uh, same old Oliver, you know? Tell me this wasn't a fun scene. This reminded me of the Garth Wagar fight. This was... <clears throat> Lighthearted. It was, yes. It, this reminded Without me... I, you know, as I got to this point, I was like, are we really going to have a bar fight right now? Like, Hell is yeah. this when it's going to happen? Hell and I was yeah. like, all right. And it was cool. It was like, all right, welcome to the city, dude. And and it was... What I liked about it was Oliver was in control the whole time, pretty much. Besides yeah. when the dagger came out, but Luthien came up and there were guards there. This is a seedy part of town. People could get killed, but nobody got killed. It was just a fight. Fun. It was fun. Yeah, it was a fun bar fight. Points to bring up. Segregation in Montfort. We're bringing it up. There is segregation of class with the inner walls separating the rich from the poor. And also in the poor people segregating the dwarves and fairborn from the humans and cyclopeans. That's all I wanted to bring up. There's a double layer of se segregation in the city. And I thought that was kind of interesting because it tells a little bit more about not the world, but about Montford itself. You know, you can imagine being one of these workers, these dock workers or just the people that are just working in the mines or whatever, or even okay. the dwarves that are working in the mines. There's a lot of mines in this city, I guess. Yep. Um, and... You know, you're mad that there's so many rich merchants milling about and they get their own set of guards and they um, they have an inner wall that's all nice and pristine and we got to deal with this. And it's like, you know, you could be working hard. You can work your hardest and sometimes still not make it out of the situation you're in. And so you just have yep. to deal with it. But instead of being able to, um, I don't know, take that internalized frustration, they end up and deal with it they end up kind of taking it out on each other in that when they walk in this bar all the races are not really intermingling and um it's so it's probably rare to see someone like oliver and luthien a human and a halfling hanging out together but it's cool that they are but then also the um, cyclopeans and the humans kind of push away the fairborn and the dwarves and i don't know if that's like learned or like it's just kind of sad you know go ahead 
they do this in movies and other books all the time. Uh, we, we've seen it with race, with like black and white. We've seen it again with like dwarves and elves in like the Lord of the Rings. Um, we've seen it with um, white men and uh, Native Americans in other movies. Uh, there's always like, right, there's like that one group. There's like those two people or those individuals that are friends when the rest of the sides are fighting. Right. And, you know, think about it like you go in there and maybe it's maybe it's one spill drink away from the elf knocking out the dwarf or the dwarf knocking out the elf. Luthien, Oliver spills his drink. He's just going to get another drink and yep. go back to it. They're not going to get into a fight over it. You know, it's 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 like these two, like they shouldn't they are literally the definition of two people that should not be friends. Right. Luthien is a straight shooting good boy from Dunbarney. Yep. And Oliver is a swashbuckling thief highway highway halfling from wherever the hell he's from. Yeah. Yeah. So like they're literally the definition of that segregation of classes and races getting along. Yeah. It's awesome. I love it. Is it is cool. I I do like that about these kind of a book, these kind of books too cuz it shows that even if you're in an environment that is like that, you don't have to be like that and really no, no one cares, you know. That's bogus. So yeah. If you talk to anybody one on one, everyone's pretty cool. People are people. All and right. Done it. Points to bring up is done. For chapter thirteen, places of note didn't Mo have anything. Didn't have anything important for places of note in this chapter. Totally irrelevant place. It was Montfort. pretty. You know, would they got a cathedral there? I, I who cares? They ain't got nothing. Well, that big they're, wasn't they're as big garbage. as the ones in the southern. Yeah, Avon. Uh, Avon. Baradwin's got a better one anyway. Carlisle on Stratton. Biatch. Munford. Munford came into sight around the next bend. This is part of the book. Sure. Nestled among the rocky cliffs and outcroppings of the northern slopes of the Iron Cross, the companions saw many buildings set in rows along the slopes of the foothills spreading down into the valley, but most of all, they saw the ministry, so, which is the cathedral of Montfort. So they, as they're coming up to it, they see that. That's what they're greeted with. It's kind of cool. It reminds me of that Lord of the Rings um, uh, tier, tier, Minas Tirith. Remember that one? Yes. yes. So it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Luthien mentally calculates the size of the city um, as Oliver and him ride into the city, and he decides that the biggest city he had ever been in, Dunvarna, could fit inside Montfort 20 times over, population wow. of around 20,000. That gives you a sense of scale. Now, Luthien's out in the world, and now he's seeing things unlike any he had ever seen. Mm-hmm. And really showing him how small his life has been up until this point. Yeah, and he asks Oliver, like, how many people are here, dude? And he's like, yeah. eh, probably 20,000. And he's like, in all of Isle Bedrigan, there's a quarter of that. And we have 5,000 square miles. And he says that, 5,000 square miles. And I was like, how big is 5,000 5, square miles? So let's pull uh, up the of map. Course, uh, Dan... Dan here, ladies and gentlemen, with a area breakdown for Isle Bedrigan. Here we go. Okay, so 5,000 square uh, miles is about the same size as the state of Connecticut. So if we're talking about Isle Bedrigan here, which is this right here, and here we have the map of the United States, and there's Connecticut pulled up there. There it is, just sit, sitting over there. Um, this is the size of that. So let's try. I don't think I can do it, but let's see if I can make this. I'm gonna zoom in on the on this. Here's the United States. Here's the um, East Coast here, and here's Bedrigan. And so just imagine this hanging off the East Coast, man. We yeah. could have Eriador here, dude, and it's not that big. It's just like another state. So I kind of like that. That really helped me go, okay, now I know. Because 5,000 square mi miles sounds big. But when you equate it to an actual state, all right, now I got it. Now I got it's it in my head, man. that big. No, it's not. Not to us. No. I'm all right, the next uh, point, place to bring up, the ministry. It seemed more a part of the majestic mountains than a man-made creation. What? I just wanted to boo the ministry. Okay. As though the hand of God. Well, think about this. This this wasn't the ministry itself isn't bad. No. It, it I has agree. become bad. And so this description is really cool because it talks about how majestic it is in the sense that where we kind of have a callback to when 
um, Brenda Moore was like, dude, when we made these things, we put all of our spiritual energy and physical talents into consideration. We wanted to glorify God and blah, blah, blah. It was like a really cool thing that he was passionate about talking about. So this is the first impression of the ministry. Go ahead, Justin. I was very taken aback when they started mentioning God because this was the first mention of it in this book. Well, I think it was good. Yeah. I think it was great to put it in there. Well, I, I, it's fine. It doesn't yeah. bother me that it's in here. But I was very surprised to actually have a named, like not named, but like to actually have the being God yeah. mentioned. And the way I, that they I was described it was good. It to be like a slew of deities like it usually is. But I didn't realize that we'd get an actual reference to God, which I thought was it was neat, but it surprised me. The way that it came out to me, and it may be because of my own personal beliefs, is that he wasn't talking about the God, you know, like as if there's one, like, I don't think they were talking about like Jesus Christ God, you know what Probably I mean? Probably not like the Christian religion, yeah. Um, and the fact that they brought up in like the very next sentences about how the wizards nowadays commune with demons and stuff, mm, I yeah, think that point. there might be a multitude of gods. But the way he was describing... Um, how, why these cathedrals were built or how they were built by the wizards is he was saying it wasn't like some sort of message from God that a priest got and then they got the inspiration. This was trying to embody the feelings that they get from their God and trying to like bring it up and raise other people up with this structure to allow you to bring up your spirituality. So I liked how they described that. Um, anyway, Good point. it seemed more a part of the majestic mountains than a man-made creation, as though the hand of God had squared and shaped the stone. The two square top towers, each rising more than a hundred feet into the air, flanked the front of the building, and a much taller spire was centered on the back. Huge, arching buttresses lined the sides from the peaked roof to the rows of the smaller steeples, accepting the tremendous weight of the stone and, the channeling, and channeling into the ground. Stone gargoyles leaned out from every side of these smaller towers to leer at passers-by, and great colored windows depicted a myriad of scenes and free-flowing designs. I thought it was cool. It was like, yeah, this is a cool place. The gargoyles are a little creepy, but that happens in our cathedrals, too, in real world. Yeah. But, you know, I don't want gargoyles. Okay, anyway, last place of, to mention, the Dwelf. Fine drink and talk for Dwarf and Elf. Located in the cedarous section of town, the Dwarf is a bar for Fairborn and dwarves alike. The painting on the sign depicted a sturdy, muscular dwarf and a Fairborn Elf leaning back to butt, each smiling widely and hoisting drinks, a mug of ale for the Dwarf and a goblet, probably of wine, for the Elf. So they even got the sign down. I like that. That was cool. Special people. There was a new person introduced to us this chapter, chapter 13, Tasmanian devil himself, Tasman. The barkeep of the Dwarf, a rough-looking, though slender character, has a history with Oliver and is considered to him a friend, which is good. And that's it. I don't have any questions for Bob. Is there any last points that you want to bring up? Moffat was a great chapter. Chapter 13 was fantastic. It was cool. It was a fun read. It was good. It was high energy. We had a little fantasy feeling with that with that past. Like, a, what is this? There's something mysterious about this past. We get this beautiful description of the city, even though there's a very dark undertone to it with the segregation, like we were talking about. We get a phenomenal description of this cathedral. And uh, again, even though they've been perverted by the, by the wizards, yep. but we get this beautiful description and we get to go to a bar in the seedy side of town and it's a great time it's a Going fun to tavern to... with the boys yeah yeah it's a cool back and forth there's a little there's a little flirting with the ladies yep. going on you just i just see oliver going up and like burying his face in that chick's tits yep. you know what i'm saying it's like, everything you want i could see him doing it and it was a fun scene it was a cute scene uh it was good writing all around a little bit character development a little bit of introspection some explanation of some of the new items that they have and it was an easy chapter to read, and when I finished it, it had me saying, I'm ready for the next one. Let's move. Let's do this. Yeah, I'm with you on that, too. You know, when you introduce a new city in any book, it can be very difficult to not Absolutely. overwhelm um, the reader. It's okay uh -huh. to overwhelm your characters, like they overwhelmed Luthien with how tall the buildings are. Kind of like if you've mm -hmm. ever, uh, like, I'm from a small town, and then the first time I went to, like, D.C., Washington, D.C. Yeah. I was like, when look we at together, these yeah. tall freaking buildings, dude. I couldn't believe it. I it's, was in shock. 
Yeah, I mean, and DC doesn't even have the tallest buildings, but they got some wow. big monuments, you know. Yep. And so uh, it, it's cool that they didn't overwhelm us with all the little details of the rats scurrying across the street and yeah. that kind of stuff. You know what's going to happen in a city. Yeah, they get, you can fill they in get the you going. They get you going. They get there. You have an interaction with the guards. They explain, okay, on quick look, we got an inner wall, inner city. It was almost like two different cities. And now we're going to the city side of town. And it was very quick. Get us to the bar. And in the bar, it was awesome. Uh, you know, it, it can be when you're reading older books, I always kind of clench a little bit because, you know, I've been so trained in modern times to be like, okay, let's be careful. Let's make sure everyone's fair or whatever. But, um, you don't have to worry about the Bob. He gives everyone a shot. These women are hitting on, or well, Oliver hits on the one woman that kind of flaunts her way past. And then this other woman's hitting on Luthien, which gets broken up because he doesn't know what to say. But then the, the fight ensues with Oliver. But in the towards the end of the fight with Oliver, the guy, the ruffian that had said, that's my woman, you know, like it, the large man that was claiming her as if, uh, in Oliver's words, as if she was his horse. She comes up with her shoe or something and starts beating the crap out of the guy, getting hers in. And I was like, yeah, dude. Stomp, stomping on him. That was awesome. That was great. It was like, yeah, yeah, you're not some, like... A uh, little flower, delicate flower. Oliver's defending your honor, but hey, get some in there. This is the bard. This is I the dog. I thought you were going to start whacking him with the shoe. So I was like, "Way to go, Bob!" You know, including good, everybody. Fun scene. So this uh, was this was the Garth Rogar fight without the death at the end of it. Yes, this was a way of like you know the stakes have been raised, but now we are, you. Just you know, this is how real life is because now he's in the real world. You know, in real life, you don't have these life or death situations from something so small. This is something that could have been big, and it ended up just being no big deal. Yo, dude, it's the 12th, man. Taz is going to go get you another beer, dude. Yep. So. I liked it. Speaking of getting a beer, I think I might uh, go get myself one. Thank you for joining me, Justin. I appreciate you coming on. Dan, I'm always happy to be here. Um this podcast has been a ton of fun to be a part of with you. Uh, you know, when we first started, I was a little iffy on how I was going to, you know, just handle everything. This is so much fun. And it's it's really cool to get to see how somebody else experiences see the yep. same thing as me. Agreed. It's it's cool as heck. And I hope anybody listening out there can uh, take something away from this. And, you know, feel free to chime in in the conversation in the comments, guys. We want to know what you think as you're reading through this book. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you uh, for joining uh, us here, Justin. Appreciate it. You guys should check out Justin's content. He's got some books out there. Um, I've got all all the links in the description below. Check it out. He's got an Amazon page. He's an author, obviously, indie author. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening to Random Book Club Podcast. <laughs>